Uh, if you would stand with me as read the passage. Luke 17, Luke 17, verse 11. Uh, a simple passage today, but it has more implication for your lives than you can imagine. Luke 17, beginning at verse 11. On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, We're not ten cleansed. Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. The Word of God. Please be seated. All righty, church. Um, familiar passage to many of you. And as I, as, I, as I commented, it's got profound implication for our daily lives, probably more than you think it is, more than I had thought it would be. Uh, he is moving between Galilee to the north, the Sea of Galilee. You go about 10 miles even today. If you go with me on one of the tours, we'll spend three or four days We'll spend three nights at the Sea of Galilee, the Tiberias, the shore there. Then we will go down south. We'll go past Jerusalem all the way to the Dead Sea, Masada area. But uh, we'll go along the Jordan River, probably the same route Jesus took. And about 10 miles south of the, of the, Dead, of the Sea of Galilee, you will pass into Samaria, modern-day terms, the West Bank. So in that day, you would go from the Jewish land of Galilee, headed to the Jewish land of Judea, and you would go through Samaria unless you did what most of the Jews did. You went around it, but not Jesus. He didn't go around it. Now, Samaria, half Jews, half foreigners, uh, followed some of the Jewish religion, but not all of it. For example, they considered the first five books of the Old Testament Scripture, but not the rest of the books of the Old Testament. And they were, they were sort of looked down upon. Well, they were very much looked down upon by the Jews as half-breeds and really despised because they didn't follow their religion. And the Samaritans, in their part, despised the Jews. So lots of animosity, resentment, hostility, not unlike today between folks in the Palestine side and folks in the Israel side. So that's the mindset. Jesus, between them both, when Ten men approach him from a distance, but they don't keep approaching. They stand at a distance. These ten men are lepers. Now, does that bring a visual image to your mind? Have you watched in the movies to kind of get an idea of what that might have looked like? Well, here's leprosy in the ancient world. It began with a sense of fatigue, pain in your joints, um, Patches began to appear on your face that were abnormal. And when you saw those patches, it was like a death sentence. I mean, it's like, man, you just heard a death sentence. 
because you, you knew you were getting leprosy. Nodules or lumps would appear around the face, and pretty soon you would be unrecognizable. These nodules would ulcerate, and there would be a foul stench that was really tough. Your eyebrows would fall off. Your vocal cords would ulcerate. You would have wheezing in your breath. You'd have a hoarse uh, voice. Nerve cells in your hands and your feet particularly would, would die, and you wouldn't feel pain. Now, for some of us, that, that may sound pretty good, but if you don't feel pain and you step in a spl on a splinter and have a splinter in your foot, you won't know that you've got a splinter in your foot for several days, and you're going to be damaging tissue. They hurt themselves. In fact, there's a marvelous book on this. One of my favorite biographies is by Paul Brand, a strong believer who was the, the most renowned leprosy specialist and hand surgeon in the world until he died about five or ten years ago. It's called Pain, the Gift Nobody Wants. Superb book. But he explains all of this. When others saw these nodules and these sure signs of leprosy, there was hysteria. I mean, can you imagine somebody with Ebola coming uh, into your house? I mean, you just, you know, I don't want to get it. And it was uh, people just had, had recoiled from you. Maybe a little bit like the AIDS crisis 30 years ago, for some of y'all who remember that. Um, the priests had guidelines that if you contracted leprosy, you had to leave your family. Okay, did you hear me? You've you got little kids in your home. You're married to a spouse. You've got leprosy. You leave them forever. You are kicked out of the town, the city walls. You have to live outside the city. Maybe from a distance, occasionally you try to catch a glimpse of your family. My wife has been gone 10 days, 10th Street. I can't wait for her to get back. I mean, this is forever. Get the feel. Moreover, uh, everyone thought that if you get leprosy, it's because of your sin, ultimately. It was God's just judgment upon you. I mean, the shame, the loneliness, the heartache, the physical problems. I mean, this is big stuff, big stuff. Okay, got the picture, got the picture. Ten lepers see Jesus coming into a village. They don't get close because you can't get within 50 feet of somebody without leprosy. But they stand at a distance. It is a measure of how bad leprosy is if they have a Samaritan in with the Jews because uh, the leprosy just trumped everything. So one Samaritan, nine Jews, lepers. Why are they there? Why are they there? Well, they have heard the stories. No doubt, they have heard the stories. Can you imagine how the stories have gone through the leper community? There is this new teacher coming out of Nazareth. Now he's in Capernaum. And word is he can heal people. Word is he has healed even lepers. Maybe he will heal me. And I can get to go back to my family. I mean, hope of all hopes. You know, beyond hope. So, uh, they hear that Jesus is making his way to Jerusalem. They target him. You know, they've probably been plotting this for days. And they, 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 they see him. Now he comes. Their hearts are racing. You know, they're just so excited. You know, maybe we will get healed. They stop 
and, and they begin crying out. I don't think they, they said it in unison. I think they're all crying out, Jesus, have mercy on us. Jesus, please heal us. You know, they're crying out. And Jesus responds so interestingly. He doesn't say, you know, be healed. He doesn't say, uh, you know, uh, start praying for them. He doesn't go up to them and touch them as he does for a leper in Mark 1. I love that passage because no one who didn't have leprosy ever touched a leper. You know, I give hugs around here. People give hugs around here. We, we need some human touch because that conveys love. And, and nobody ever touched them. Didn't get close. But Jesus, in this instance, responds to them with something most unusual. He simply says, go and show yourselves to the priests. What do they do? Do, do they look around each other and, well, I guess we better go. You know, a little bit unusual. A little bit like Naaman, the leper, who was the army commander in 2 Kings 6, I think it is, goes to Elisha because he had heard that Elisha heals people. And he goes to him and says, Elisha, would you heal me? He's an important army commander for this foreign army. And Elisha just says to him, well, you do this. You go to the Jordan River. Jordan River is just a muddy little river, almost like we'd call a creek. Go to the Jordan River and wash yourself in it seven times. And Naaman's like, you know, we got better rivers than that in our country. And, uh, but, but he thinks, you know, well, maybe I'll get healed. So he does it and he gets healed. So it's a little bit like that. Jesus says to the ten lepers, go, show yourselves to the priests. And so probably one of them says, well, let's go. And, and, and that's what happens. So he's in Luke 17. Um, Jesus says to them, go and show yourselves to the priests. By the way, the priests were like the health inspectors in the community. I mean, they were more than that. They were the priests who helped connect people to God. But they were also like the health inspectors. If you have anything wrong with your house, mildew, anything, any kind of skin disease, if you wanted to get it back in the community, the priests had to sign off on it. So you had to go to the priests, in other words, to get back into the city walls anyway. So go and show yourselves to the priests. Then this is what we read. And as they went, they were cleansed. You see that? You feel that? No, do you feel that? You hear one of those lepers. You've not seen your family for 15 years. You're all ulcerated and, you know, you can't even recognize you. You, you say, okay, let's go. He said to go, so we're going to go. They're walking. Did they get, make 50 yards? Did they make 100 yards? Did they make 1,000 yards? And all of a sudden, they notice their skin is clean like a baby's. Oh, tears start coming down their eyes. Hearts bracing. Yes, yes. You know, it's bigger than winning the Irish lottery. You know, it just, you know, oh, he healed us. And, um, and then we read about one of the ten. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. You know, he wasn't worried about advice. Just, Lord, bless you. Thank you, Lord. I'm just so grateful. Bless you for doing that. He's praising God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. I mean, he cannot not go back to worship. He cannot not worship. He cannot not go back and just say thank you to Jesus. What, what, what happened to the other nine? Uh, probably all of us are thinking to ourselves, you know, if I'd have been there, I'd have gone back. Maybe. Maybe we would have. Maybe we wouldn't have. Maybe they're thinking, well, he said to go to the priest. I want to get to the priest, get my family. And they went on. 
Besides, he's probably thinking, well, he knows I'm grateful. Of course I'm grateful. But one of them could not do that. He couldn't. He could not not worship. And so he turns around and goes back, hits the ground, falls himself at Jesus' feet. By the way, all through the New Testament, not all through, several times, interesting times, in the New Testament, someone will fall at the feet of a man who's done a miracle or of a, of a, of a powerful angel. And in every case, they will say something like this, get up, get up, get up, I'm just a man or I'm an angel, only worship God. Jesus never responds that way. Jesus received worship because he is God, and it's right that he is worshiped and praised. No problem for Jesus to be thanked and praised. So the man comes back, hits his face before Jesus, thanking him, you know, thank you so much, and Jesus was moved by that. But Luke tells us, and he was a, a Samaritan. Now he was a Samaritan. Now, that's like saying, now he, he belonged to ISIS for us. I mean, he's one of the bad guys. I mean, they didn't think that God cared about the Samaritans. They didn't think that, that those folks were saved or had any heart for God. And it's the Samaritan and not the nine Jews who come back to give him thanks. And Luke is pointing that out. Now, Luke's gospel... More than Matthew, Mark, and John emphasizes that God's heart is not just for the Jews, but for everybody. Luke really emphasizes this. He doesn't trace the genealogy back to Abraham, but to Adam and, 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 and many other ways. He's saying that God's heart is for all peoples everywhere. And from time to time, we can be like the Jews. We want to hang around with people like us, but God's heart is for all peoples everywhere. That's why here at Woods Edge, one of our explicit dreams is as is, is, is much diversity as we can hold. Uh, racial, ethnic, socioeconomic, even political. <laughs> as much diversity as we can hold because we are united by the blood of Jesus Christ. And heaven is going to be a great picture of that. So be the first to reach out past a divide. Always. We love that. Okay, Luke points out the guy who turned back was a Samaritan. And he's the one that had the tender heart for God. How does Jesus respond when that happens? Well, with three questions. We're not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. By the way, these 10 lepers, all of them were healed, by the way. That's what the text said earlier. They were all cleansed. One of them gave me thanks, but they were all cleansed. All of them had enough faith to come to Jesus, didn't they? One of the things I've been teaching us, because we see in the Bible so much, is that we don't have perfect faith, but every time you pray, it shows some faith. They had enough faith to come to Jesus. We don't have perfect faith when we come to Jesus and ask for incredible things. But we, if, if we have enough faith to come to him, uh, so often God will honor that. And he loves it when we trust him. And this one came back, he had to say thank you. Now, church, that's a simple passage, isn't it? And, and you might think, well, shoot, that was 15 minutes, we're about done here. Um, there are more implications for the teaching in the Bible on Thanksgiving that, that, than we could imagine. Think with me. Why did the Psalms 
repeatedly call us to give thanks to God. Come into his presence with thanksgiving. Give thanks to him. Praise his holy name for what he's done for you. The Psalms, the prayer book of the Old Testament, repeatedly call us to give thanks to God for his goodness to us. Repeatedly. And then we come to the New Testament. We have strong passages like this one. Where are the other nine? Jesus has feelings too. He's a person. He's not less of a person than us. He's more of a person than us. Where are the other nine? And then in the letters from uh, Romans, you know, throughout the rest of the New Testament, uh, repeatedly call, give thanks, uh, and everything give thanks. Give thanks to God. In fact, in Romans 1, there is the strongest passage because Paul here is almost defining those who rejected God, and he says of them, they do not acknowledge God or give thanks, as if that's kind of the essence of separating those who are believers and those who are not believers. They don't acknowledge God or give thanks. Yeah, I've heard it said that the problem with atheism is that there's nobody to give thanks to. You know, when something really good happens to you, uh, I mean, can you imagine you in 9-11, you're an atheist in Manhattan, and your 23-year-old son uh, wonder of wonders, get, you know, survives it when everybody on his floor got killed. And, and, and who do you give thanks to? You know, you just, yay. You know, you just, um, there's no one to give thanks to. Um, they, they, they didn't acknowledge God or give thanks. Friends, it, all biblical faith will be expressed with thanksgiving. What are you saying when you're saying thanks? Thanks, you're saying, God, you're up there. God, you're God. God, uh, I have this not because HEB is making a bunch of money, not because ExxonMobil gives me a paycheck every two weeks, but because there ultimately there's a God in heaven who is good. And he gives me the ability and the grace and the opportunity, and I've got food in front of me. Are you thankful that you did not grow up in Somalia where there's been war and famine and heartache all your life? Are you, are you thankful for for people in your life who care about you, maybe a spouse, maybe kids, maybe parents, friends. Um, this is just part of biblical faith. It's just an expression of faith. It's just inherent in our prayer life. Lord, you are responsible for every good thing. and everything, give thanks. It's just what people of faith do. It's just right. Now, I want to unpack this a bit because when we read this passage, you know, just about all of us, I, I confess myself, you know I, you know, I think, well, surely I would have gone back to say thank you like that one did. But, but could it be, could it be that some of us, you and I, that, that maybe we're not as grateful to God at times as we could be? Could it be that at times God has done something for you and uh, yet you never stopped or paused to say thank you? You just kind of went on, went on your way? Could it be that in your life that, that maybe 98% of your prayer requests are things like, I need wisdom here, I need uh, guidance about this, and 98% and, and of your prayer requests are answered yes, but most of those you never stop and say thank you about. But, but maybe you focus on the 2% that hadn't gotten a yes yet, and, and you focus more on what you don't have rather than all the things you do have. Could it be that some of us have more of a complaining spirit for how rough we've got it, rather than a grateful spirit for how good God has been to us. Could it be 
that we too have hurt the heart of God because we are not thankful and grateful people. Let me ask you this question. Why should we give thanks? Why is it so important? Why do the scriptures t- tell us repeatedly to give thanks? Why does Romans 1 almost define a believer as someone who gives thanks? Someone who gives thanks. Why is it so important? Well, first of all, God deserves it. He is responsible for every good thing in your life. That's what the Bible teaches. Every good and perfect gift, gift comes from above, from the Father of lights, James 1.17. Or in 1 Corinthians 4.7, Paul says this, talking about good things in his life. He says, what do you have that you have not received? What do you have that you have not received? You have faith, you've received it from God. You've been saved, you've received it from God. You got food on your table, you've received it. You breathe air, you received it from God. You got anybody that cares about you, you received it from God. Every single good thing in your life that you've ever had or experienced, gift from God. Gift from God. He deserves it. He deserves it. He is responsible. That's just part of the godness of God. A good God rules and leads the universe. God deserves it. G.K. Chesterton, not so well known today, he lived a century ago in England, well known journalist. C.S. Lewis was highly influenced by him, and all of us are highly influenced by Lewis just about. Chesterton said, at the end of one day, here ends another day. I've got hands, I've got eyes, I've got feet, I've had a day in the beautiful wide world, and tomorrow I get another. It's like, man, God has blessed me today, and I get another one tomorrow? That is a grateful spirit. It's a grateful spirit. He said uh, also, he said, uh, okay, you give thanks before meals. I give thanks before I, I write, before I go to the opera, before I go to the concert, before I swim, before everything I do in the day. I give thanks. Every good thing I've got comes from God. First reason to give thanks, to be a thankful person, is simply that God deserves it. He deserves it. Secondly, you need it. You need it. I need it. We need to say thank you. It is part of our humility before God. It's part of our acknowledging our creaturehood and God's creator, that he is the source of all good things. You know, this past week, Sarah, my daughter, her husband has been on business out of the country. My wife's been with Teen Street in Germany. And so we had several meals together with Sarah and the three kids. And I just noticed several times, probably four or five times during our meals, Sarah would say something to one of the kids, hey, say thank you, say thank you. Now, now why do those of you out there with small children, why is that so important to you to teach your kids to say thank you? Well, you don't think through it philosophically. You intuit, you know that that's just part of respectful, grateful, humble life. Otherwise, they're going to go up and they're going to have a sense of entitlement. And that's going to lead to misery. And, and I'm not, ne- never going to be happy because I'm not getting what I deserve. We know it is basic for a little child to learn to say thank you. It is even more important for us to say thank you to God. Even more important in our daily lives that we be a grateful people, that we say thank you to God. It's just right. Imagine this scene. Imagine that um, I uh, decide, okay, Gail is due home Tuesday night, and I decide, well, I really want to, <clears throat> I really want to, I really want to um, wash her car for her 
and make it immaculate. And I spend four or five hours, I'm vacuuming out. I'd never do, well, I shouldn't say that. Uh, <laughs> I want to give you the wrong impression. I'll take it somewhere. But <laughs> imagine I would clean it. And, and I'd vacuum and, and I'd wash. And then I, I, I waxed it. And I spent five or six hours on it. And, and, and Gail gets home and she doesn't say anything about it. And, and so I take her back out there and look at the car. And, and she, she, she looks over there and you missed a spot over here. <laughs> Gail wouldn't do that. <clears throat> if your spouse responded that way, when you knocked yourself out for five or six hours, that would not feel good, would it? Whenever somebody, whenever you knock yourself out to do something special for somebody, and they're not grateful, that ain't right. It just is not right. It is no different with you and God. It is no different with you and God. It is part of our humanity. You need to learn to say thank you just like your toddler does. Okay, thirdly, I want to ramp it up a bit here. Thirdly, Unless you regularly are a thankful person and you're saying thank you, not just grateful in your attitude, but you actually express thanks, unless you're that, you are not going to build faith, love, or humility in your life. This is all part of building faith, building love, building a humility in your life, growing in those things. Every time you say thank you to God, you're expressing faith, you're encouraging faith. You're saying to God, God, I believe you're there. God, I believe you're good. God, I believe you care about me. God, I believe you give good things to me. And it's going to encourage you the next time you need to trust God. He is a good God. You're building faith every time you say thank you. You're building love. You're nurturing love. Whenever you, from your heart, say thank you, Lord. Thanks so much for this. It's tender. It's tender. When my granddaughter or grandson, we go out to McDonald's. I get him whatever he wants there. He gets a little toy milkshake, whatever he wants, and, and he, from his heart, even before his mom tells him, he says, thank you, Papa. Man, I feel loved. It just draws us closer. When you express thanks to God, it's a tender moment of love, and it fosters more love. It expresses humility every time you say thank you. You know, proud people don't say thank you very much because they always feel they deserve more. Oh, don't get as much as I deserve. But grateful people, grateful, humble people are grateful people. And it's going to express humility before God. And it's going to nurture humility because you're just going to remind yourself every good thing I've got. Every good thing I've got and ever had is a gift from God. So it is vital to you living a life of faith and love and humility. Okay, there's one more. This alone would be enough. Uh, Grateful people are the happiest people on the planet. Show me a grateful person who knows how to say thank you, and I'll show you a happy person. Show me somebody who is never grateful, and I'll show you an unhappy person. Every time. From time to time, when I talk about gratitude and thanksgiving, I refer to the research that I've read about on stress. The seminal research was done by Hans Selye, a Canadian scientist. And with all of his research, he, he found the, the one emotion that was most conducive to dealing with stress. And he found, the, on the converse side, the one emotion that was uh, w the worst on you for dealing with stress. The emotion, by the way, the emotion, this is not my topic today, that is the worst for your mental health and emotional health and your happiness is bitterness. Yep, unforgiveness. 
anger. Canadian secular research, this is deadly to the human being. All right, that's not today. All right, on the other side, the healthiest emotion. You know what Anselya said? Gratitude. Gratitude. Other philosophers say say the same thing. You don't fully express, uh, you don't fully feel the joy of anything unless you express gratitude. He said it's just, it is the best emotion for your mental health, for your emotional health. Gratitude. Surprising. Hmm. God's told us the importance of gratitude centuries ago. In fact, William Law, a writer three or four centuries ago in Britain, said this. He said, if anyone would tell you the shortest, surest way to how happiness, they would tell you to make it a rule to thank and praise God for everything that happens to you. For it is certain that whatever seeming calamity befalls you, if you can thank and praise God for it, you will turn it into a blessing. So what's he saying? He's saying what God tells us in Ephesians 5.18, 1 Thessalonians 5.18, and everything give thanks. You mean, Jeff, that God says that when something bad happens to me, I'm supposed to give thanks? You bet. You're giving thanks in that situation, not necessarily for that situation. Now, several days ago, someone talked to me, and I thought they were a little bit unfair with me. And I was kind of stewing about it. And I had to remind myself, because I was preaching this this week probably, um, (laughs) give thanks, give thanks. I try to make that my rule. Every time something bad happens to me, Lord, you say to give thanks, I'm going to give thanks. You get fired, give thanks. Car trouble, I hate car trouble, give thanks. Um, Disease, give thanks. Back pain, give thanks. In everything, give thanks. Do you do that? I hope so. This is the way believers live. If we're going to be just like, you know, the non-Christian friends on our street, then don't do that. But, but if you're going to be people of faith who acknowledge God and give thanks, then make it your practice every time, every time something bad happens to you. Now, is that realistic? Is that just foolish? Okay, let me give you another example. Another few centuries ago, there was a famous uh, Bible writer by the name of Matthew Henry. Some of you have heard of his name. Now, one night in the city, he gets mugged. And several thieves rob him and take all of his money. Okay, now that would be the kind of situation that, you know, give thanks for. Well, later that night, we know this because he writes in his journal a thank you. Now just think, if you were in that situation, what would you thank him for? This is what Matthew Henry thanked him for. Now he's writing in his journal. He's not preaching to a bunch of people trying to look good. He's writing in his private journal. And this is what he said. He said, I am thankful that during these years I have never been robbed until now. Okay, that's one thing. He's got four things. During these years of my life, this is the first time I've ever been robbed. Thank him for that. Secondly, also, even though they took my money, they did not take my life. Okay, that's another thing. And although they took all I had, it was not much. Okay, (laughs) another good thing. He's got one more. Finally, I am grateful that it was I who was robbed, not I who robbed. You thank God even when bad things happen? Show me somebody who is filled with joy. During the first service, about this time during the sermon, I glanced over there and I saw a man who has been battling tongue cancer. And uh, he doesn't talk normal. 
And he is happy. And he is a grateful spirit. Michael Gabriels. Came up to me afterwards. And, and I said, I thought of you during that time. <laughs> show me somebody who is happy. I will show you a man or a woman who has learned how to say thank you to God. Throughout all of life. Show me somebody who is miserable and unhappy and discouraged and depressed. I'm not simplifying. There might be some physical causes behind depression. But I will also show you somebody who is not a grateful person. And is not filled with a grateful heart. Friends, this is so big. This is so big. It is for your sakes that God put this in the Bible. It is for our sakes. So, church, I think you probably agree with me. I probably don't have to convince you this is so important. But how can we do this? How can we cultivate this spirit? Uh, let me just give you a few suggestions. First of all, um, the one time in which all of us believers pause to say thank you is at mealtimes. And so that usually is three times a day. Most of us, at least, pause a little bit. I would encourage you this because that's kind of a good and a bad thing. The, the bad part of that is it is so easy because we do it three times a day, most days. It's so easy to say it and not mean it. It's just like kind of a, you know, just a little ritual. Um, I would encourage you, don't say it unless you mean it. Say it from your heart. Just pause, remind yourself, okay, Lord, thank you. Thank you so much for providing food for me. Just doesn't have to be fancy, but just mean it. Secondly, it's a little bit like that one, communion. We have communion every week. And uh, one of the words in the Bible for, for communion is Eucharist. And the Greek word Eucharist, at least the verb, Eucharisto, means I thank you. It just means thank you. So, in other words, God is saying communion, that's one big thank you. What are we thanking God for? We're thanking Him for the cross. We're thanking Him for a Savior. We're thanking Him that that even though we are rebels and deserving of eternity apart from God, He has miraculously saved us by the blood of His Son. And we say thank you. I would encourage you, when you take communion, we're going to do it in a few minutes. Don't do it out of ritual. But, but just pause and remind yourself what God has done for you in Christ. And say thank you. Say thank you. So those are a couple of suggestions. I, I would also encourage you to every day... It's part of your prayer life to spend a little time giving thanks to God. I, I, it's just part of prayer. It's a vital part of prayer. I, I hope that you, you just find yourself each day, Lord, I, I thank you that you have loved me, that you have saved me, that you have chosen me by your grace. Lord, I, I thank you that you have forgiven all of my sins. I thank you for a Savior. I thank you for the incarnation. I thank you for the cross. I thank you for the resurrection. I thank you for my family. I thank you for this job. I thank you for this home. I, just, I hope you find yourself from the heart saying thank you every day, every day. Hope it doesn't get old to you. You're building faith. You're building love. You're building humility. And it's just right. It's just right. But sometimes you ought to do this. Sometimes... Particularly if you're going through a hard time, particularly if you've been sad, um, discouraged, uh, get alone for 30 minutes or an hour, get your iPad out or a yellow pad, and list everything you can think of that God has given you in your life. List every good thing in your life you can think of, and then pull it out and look at it. Uh, that is a great exercise to do from time to time. Just list them all out and say thank you. Mainly, focus on the cross. Focus on the cross. 
the fountainhead of every blessing that we've got. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places has been given to you in Christ Jesus because he died for us on the cross. And that brings us to communion, the heart of our worship. Stand with me, church, and let's pray and ask God to give us a grateful spirit. Lord God, I love these people, and Lord God, your word is so practical and so true. And Lord, I pray that you would help me to be more thankful. I pray, Lord God, that you would help us to be more thankful. Lord God, show us what this means for us, what changes in our lives need to take place. Lord, show us a Savior paying for our sins on the cross and rising from the dead because you love us. Show us that. Friend, if you're here and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, this is your moment. Just breathe a... You don't have to ask anything. Just say thank you. Thank Him for the cross. That's a great way to come to faith. Thank Him for a Savior. He'll just come into your life. Wipe out your sin. Lord, we love you. Thank you. Amen.